listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about reading as self-care. But first, let's catch up on life lately. What is new with you, Sarah? So maybe I should have said this on the last episode after we just come back from a break, but I didn't. So here we are this week. I'm still trying to figure out that line of exactly how much I want to share about my experience of having cancer. But I did want to let folks know that I am currently no evidence of disease. Yay. It doesn't feel quite like it's all behind me yet, as I'm still on medication to prevent recurrence and will be for the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it does feel like I'm adjusting to my new normal and lots of things feel back to how they were previously. Nice. What is new with you, friend? I'm just really wondering why my sleep-trained children still wake up at night. It's the eternal question. (laughs) You know my kids didn't sleep for years. I think that the answer is that a lot is changing. Mm -hmm. One of them is a baby. Another one of them is three and a half. And so she has a lot going on psychologically, emotionally, developmentally. But let's just say, while I don't want to wish this time away, I do want to be in a time... (laughs) Where both of them sleep. Amen. I think it's so hard because I am somebody who always wakes up at night, even now as an adult. Mm, mm -hmm. And so I think some kids are just hardwired to wake up. I think mine were. I mean, I'd like to think it wasn't terrible parenting on our part that made us have horrible (laughs) sleeping children, but it was miserable. All of it. I hate being sleep deprived. So much empathy. I am sending your way. Thank you. The thing that's the hardest for me is that I have a hard time going back to sleep when I get woken up in the night. Mm, Yep. And so if I get woken up, often it's the one-two punch where the baby will wake up to eat because he's not night weaned yet. And then I hear a fake cry from the room of the three and a half year old. Mm. And maybe I just need to make a better boundary with her and like set her expectations of what's going to happen in the night. Mm -hmm. That if she has a specific problem, she needs to shout out rather than this non-specific need for parental support at 2.30 in the morning. (laughs) Because once I have been up for two separate activities, then it's basically like I'm up for the day. Yeah. I mean, I'm a terrible person when I've been up since three in the morning. You know, it gets... (laughs) Aren't we all? (laughs) my sleep needs are not that high, but it gets to 4 p.m., which is the rough time of the day for us anyway. And I'm just like, Plum, don't talk to me. And she's like, but I want to talk to you. (laughs) So yes, I'm hopeful that we will be past this time soon. Sending good thoughts your way. Thank you. Let's talk now about what we've been reading. Sarah, what's your latest read? I read The Enchanted Hour, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction by Megan Cox Gordon. The author is the Wall Street Journal's children's book reviewer, and she talks about the science behind reading aloud, what research shows us about the benefits of reading aloud, and then that's interspersed throughout with stories from the years that she read aloud to her five children. This sounds really awesome. It was great. I loved how she emphasized reading aloud once kids could read to themselves and how there is still so much benefit to reading to older elementary schoolers, middle schoolers, even high schoolers. Mm. 
and how you can share stories with them that they wouldn't be ready to read on their own, but that still offer so much in terms of vocabulary and richness and complexity of plot. And looking back on my own childhood, we really didn't read aloud as a family once we could read on our own. Mm -hmm. And it's not something I wished for or felt was lacking in my life. I wanted to read what I wanted to read, and I was very uninterested in reading that with my parents. Sure. But it has made me see these benefits in a new light and want to do that with my kids. Mm. I also feel like it's taken some of the pressure off of HP should be reading on his own every evening to improve his reading skills and looking at it as this is such a great opportunity for us to connect as a family and that he's still getting so many benefits and enjoyment out of me reading aloud to him. I love that. There was also a great book list at the end of recommended reading for different ages, and I loved going through those. I've been really inspired to pick out books that have been pre-vetted as opposed to randomly grabbing off the library shelf, which we still do plenty of, but it is a more guaranteed good experience when you know the books are going to be good. It seems like as you are investing more in terms of time when you're reading longer books, like chapter books with your kids, Mm -hmm. that you want to make sure that it's going to be focusing on things that you want to talk about with them Mm -hmm. or have a story that is redeeming and not disappointing at the end. And so it seems as though that matters less with a picture book because you're just reading right through it. And if it's terrible, maybe you change some things and then just shut it and don't (laughs) read it again. But if you have committed to a chapter book, you want to make sure that you are in it with something good. Yes. I also loved how she talked about some of the classic literature, and they often have many problematic themes looked at in modern light. Sure. For example, HP loves the Little House books right now, Mm -hmm. but the way they talk about race and indigenous people and our history is very white-centric and not the way I want him to be thinking about it. But reading them gives us an opportunity to talk about that. When else is it going to come up in our everyday life to discuss what it meant for white settlers to be moving into indigenous people's land? and the ways in which they viewed each other. That isn't something that we just naturally talk about on the walk to school. But when we read the book, we can look at it with a critical eye. And that feels better than just sending him out on his own to absorb all of that without that conversation piece with an adult. Yeah. My one criticism of the book is that underlying it was this sense of if everyone would just read to their kids, all of our problems would be solved and everyone would be on an equal playing field and education would be perfect, which ignores the big systemic issues of disparity in education Mm -hmm. and places the blame at the feet of parents in a way that feels problematic. Mm -hmm. That said, I think looking at it in my individual case, I found it very inspiring. I read it right before the summer, so I just had this renewed vigor to read with my children, and that coincided with having a lot more time and space to read to my kids. So I'm really glad that I read it and would recommend it to anyone who loves books and loves children. Perfect. What have you been reading, Abby? I recently finished Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. This is a reworked fairy tale. I would say it is based loosely on Rumpelstiltskin, but I'm pretty sure she is bringing threads of other folk tales and fairy tales in. Mm -hmm. And so the main characters are three teenage women, Miriam, Wanda, and Irina. The book 
is told from even more perspectives than just theirs, but it's centered on their three perspectives, which I'll say right off the bat, that was a thing that didn't always work for me was the switching Mm -hmm. of perspectives. Mm -hmm. I think it is really hard to do that well. It is. Especially if you pick more than a couple perspectives to kind of go back and forth between. Mm -hmm. It was just a little bit jarring. But that said, I really still loved this book. I loved how the main characters' lives end up intersecting by the end. I found it really fascinating how Judaism and critiques of anti-Semitism were worked into the story. And this was a book club book for me and my in-person book club. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how if you're thinking about it from the perspective of a YA reader, and I think this is aimed at an older young adult reader probably, okay, that the main exposure that they are getting to Judaism, if they're not Jewish themselves, is through Holocaust literature. Mm. Right? So true. So it is really, I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but it was really great to have typical Jewish life, as well as the challenges that Jewish people are facing, mm-hmm. presented in a really atypical way. I also loved the very intense role that place and weather play in this book. Mm. So we're going to talk about this a little bit later when we talk mm-hmm. more about reading for self-care and how seasonality and weather plays into our enjoyment of reading. But I was reading this in the early postpartum days when I was really wanting to be cozy. And there's so much talk of winter and cold that it inspired feelings of coziness in a very mm. concrete way for me. And then the last thing that I'll say is that I really love all the ways that the idea of family are presented in the book, as well as challenged. This idea of who you come from and why we favor some children over another Mm. and why what parents do for their kids that feels like a good thing might not be the best thing. So that was really complex and To have it inspire all these thoughts for me in the context of this sort of escapist fairy tale fantasy thing that I love was pretty great. It sounds much different than I was imagining. I just picked this one up from the library last week, but haven't started it. Mm -hmm. But I was imagining it as just purely escapist light read. So I'm even more looking forward to reading it after hearing you describe it. Yeah, so I would definitely recommend it. I probably recommended it to you, and I would recommend it really to most people. It is a thick book. It is a dense book. It was not a quick read for me, I think, because there is so much going on and because there's some time that you have to take when the perspective switches to really be in the story. Mm -hmm. But if you go into it knowing that and expecting that, I think it's worth the time for sure. And I have also heard from a friend that the audiobook is great. So folks that are into audiobooks might want to check this one out as well. Sounds good. So let's talk about reading some more. Let's. I think for you and me both, reading is one of our favorite self-care practices. So let's start by talking about why reading feels like self-care for you. First and foremost, I love that it is something I do by myself. (laughs) Right. Being alone is key to self-care for me. I also love that it leaves me feeling renewed and inspired, even when I'm reading something light, Mm. which is a contrast to reality television, for example, which I (laughs) also love, but doesn't have any of those effects. I usually leave watching that feeling more sluggish and blah. Kind of wrung out, right? That's what I feel like. I'm like, that was a lot happening that I just (laughs) 
participated in by watching it. Yes. But it feels like no matter what book I'm reading, it always feels like time well spent. Mm -hmm. It also feels like self-care because there's something I can take from any book. Romance provides this happy ending and presents the world as it should be and makes me feel positive about the world. But even serious nonfiction can feel like self-care because I'm learning something and challenging myself, which is taking care of myself in a different way. Whatever my mood there is a book to match. The trick is just aligning those two things, Mm -hmm. which feels hard to do a lot of the times. (laughs) It can be tough. How do you see reading as self-care? I love elements of escapism in reading. I love that reading can be comforting, especially going back to an old familiar book. Mm -hmm. can feel really sweet, especially when things are tough in real life. I also like that it can be invigorating or inspiring, that it can feel like a call to action in some cases. Mm -hmm. Really good nonfiction does that for me, especially in terms of parenting, that if I read a really good and inspiring parenting book, that I feel like I can be a better version of myself parenting after I've read it. Mm -hmm. Same. I think it's a self-care practice in that it helps with falling asleep in a way that scrolling my phone or looking at a screen does not. Mm -hmm. And I also love that it feels like something really great I'm doing for my mind, like feeding myself something delicious that I'm craving. And it's different than craving something like fast food that sometimes I crave and love, but kind of like you with reality TV, that I don't necessarily feel awesome after eating it. Mm -hmm. But with reading, it's slightly more work Mm -hmm. to do it. So in that way, it's like eating something that took a while to prepare. You had to chop all the vegetables. Yeah, exactly. But then when I eat it, it's so very satisfying. And it's so funny because you love reading as a solitary activity. And the other piece of the self-care part with reading for me is that it leads to community. So it leads to Mm -hmm. us talking about books or me and my mom talking about books or any number of my book clubs talking about books. And I love that piece of it, too. And I love that piece, too. I like that the solitary can lead into the community, but it's that solitary piece that really fills me up first. So I'm ready to talk about it with other folks. Totally. So on the flip side, when does reading not feel like self-care? For me, it does not feel like self-care when I need to turn my brain off. Mm. And there are some books that fit more into that category, but sometimes even those feel like too much work. Mm. I really anticipated going into having surgery that that time right after would be ripe for reading a giant stack of books and just going through this whole list that you know I hadn't had time for before. That was false. <laughs> All I wanted to do was watch Yummy Mummies on Netflix and zone out. And that was fine for that season. Just what I had anticipated didn't quite match with what I really needed. What I really needed was not to challenge myself and be a better person or even spend more time in my own mind. I needed time to just consume without having to participate in the way that reading requires. That's totally fair. When do you find reading is not self-care? When the book feels like a slog, Mm -hmm. though as previously discussed on the pod, I'm a book quitter. (laughs) So normally I am quitting books that are not feeling like self-care. And the other thing that can sometimes happen is that I get overwhelmed with all the library books coming in. Mm -hmm. It feels more like pressure than something I am inviting myself to do. And Mm -hmm. that's not very self-care-ish for me. Agreed. Do you have a specific kind of book that feels more in the self-care realm for you than other types? The first genre that comes to mind is romance. Oh, yes. 
and this is more recent for me. I've only started reading them in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. One turning point for me was reading Molly Westerman's newsletter. Oh, yes. And she talked about how she started learning more about romance and reading romances and recommended specific feminist romance titles. Yeah, her book recommendations across the board are fantastic. Yeah, they're always spot on. So getting started with not just a random romance, but with ones that had been pre-vetted, I think was the way to go. Absolutely. And really brought me into the joys of the genre. Mm -hmm. I'm also currently enjoying the new podcast by Vanessa Zoltan and Ariana Nettleman, Hot and Bothered. I love that podcast. Oh, it's so good. Friends, if you love romance, or even if you're just romance curious and love books, Mm -hmm. the way that they talk about it just makes me feel like the world is a good place to be. Mm -hmm. And even books that people dismiss as frivolous have this great power to shape how we see the world. Yes, it has been eye-opening for me to listen to that podcast because books that I was judgmental of myself for enjoying, I now feel much more validated in enjoying them after listening to them. Mm-hmm. And just that romance as a genre is so empowering mm-hmm. if you're reading the right romance novels. And I am all in on the romance train, 100%. You and me both. The number one thing that comes to mind for me when it comes to self-care is Louise Penny and the Gamache books yes. forever and always. Yes, ma'am. That is <laughs> correct. I had not been paying attention and only recently discovered that she has a new book coming out at the end of August. Highlight of the summer, my friends, discovering that. <laughs> I can tell that it's going to be a good self-care book when I start to plan and imagine how it will be to read it, where I'm going to be, and what time I want to block out for it. And that's what I do with Kamash books. I was like, okay, I'm on this position in the holds line. It comes out on this day. About how many weeks later will I be getting it? When can I schedule this time for myself to just fully be in the experience? Mm -hmm. Where most other books, it's like, oh, I'm just sneaking in a few pages here and there and not really worrying about it. But when I want to create the space for it, you know, that's some good self-care. And the Gamash books have another really lovely self-care piece for me, which is that the descriptions of food in those books are totally incredible. Mm -hmm. So not only Mm -hmm. am I revisiting these familiar characters whom I love and whom I've cultivated this relationship with over my history of reading these books, (laughs) but then I'm also hearing about this amazing ham and cheese croissant that I am salivating over. Mm -hmm. It's just this really beautiful time of reading. Yes. And I love what you said too about revisiting the same characters, Mm. that when it is a series that you can really love and invest in that feels more like a self-care book to me because it's like you're just slipping in with an old good friend yes where a book that you don't have any history with it could be good and be really meet all of your needs or it could be a total flop so it's nice having that reassurance that I know when I pick up this book I'm gonna love it yeah there's that element of reliability that guarantees self-care in a way that like you're saying new things do not And I find that with fantasy, which is the other genre I think of as more self-care. Harry Potter is the obvious example of Mm -hmm. one being able to come back to it. But I felt the same way about the release of the Harry Potter books that I now feel about the Gamash books. So fantasy is definitely one for me. Harry Potter, as you said, Mm -hmm. huge fan of Harry Potter. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but Harry Potter on audiobook got me through grad school. Mm -hmm. When things were really busy and I was not doing a lot of self-care, listening to Harry Potter while I was doing tons of work in lab was a way to get self-care in Mm -hmm. where I wasn't going to do it in any other way at any other time. I also really love 
reworked fairy tales like Spinning Silver that we talked about, but my favorite comfort reads are Gail Carson Levine's books, Mm -hmm. The Two Princesses of Bamar, and the prequel to that one, and then Ella Enchanted, which I just love. And those are ones that are aimed at a younger audience so I can read them really fast, but they're just so wonderful. The last group of books that I would classify in this is not really a genre, but just a way that I go about reading, which is sometimes I really get into a topic and want to read multiple nonfiction books about the same topic in quick succession. Hmm. For example, after I read The Enchanted Hour, I also read Read Aloud Revival and The Read Aloud Handbook, which is all that same information repackaged, though listeners should know that I shared the best one by far in reading lately. So read that one if you're only going to read one of those three. I also do this with personal finance, Mm. where I'll want to read a lot of personal finance books. Even though I'm not really getting anything out of the information, something about it feels really satisfying or validating in a way that most nonfiction books don't. Hmm. That's so interesting. I would say nonfiction does not typically feel like self-care for me, though the exception to that is like I mentioned earlier, if I read something that is just super invigorating, Mm -hmm. but also feels really achievable, so something that I can implement in my own life immediately before I've even finished the book, that's when nonfiction feels like self-care. And like I said, it happens most often in parenting for me. Right. Something that's actionable, not just, aren't you glad you now know about this really horrifying, depressing aspect of our society? Bingo. (laughs) Let's think about a dream scenario. Okay. What does the ultimate self-care reading experience look like for you? It would involve reading in the morning or during the day because that has always been more elusive with children. Oh, sure. Good food and drink on hand that are easy to consume while reading, and a large block of time to read as much as I want, so I don't feel like I'm trying to squeeze it in. If I'm getting lost in a book, I want to get lost in it, not be stopped every three minutes to attend to my real life and the needs of my family. Yep. (laughs) How about for you? So at its most basic, the ideal experience involves a super compelling page turner and time to read it. So similar to what you said. Mm -hmm. But in my wildest dreams, it would be reading an amazing book while on vacation with friends Mm -hmm. with someone Mm -hmm. else taking care of my children. Love it. I don't think that I want to just read all the time. I want the social piece sprinkled in there. Mm -hmm. So I want to be reading in a beautiful place, but then also have the chance every few hours to stop and enjoy a meal and talk with friends, maybe even about what I'm reading. (laughs) Sounds lovely. Let's make it happen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When you read for self-care, do you read quickly or do you savor what you're reading? I don't think that I read the actual words on the page any faster if it's a book I'm really loving than I would otherwise, Hmm. but I block out more time to read, so I do get through the book faster. I find that I suddenly have two and a half hours in the evening to read before I go to sleep, where otherwise I might putter around or chat with Neil or watch some TV and only end up with 15 minutes to read. One thing this made me think of is that when I was reading The Last Gamache last fall, or when the new Harry Potters came out back in the day, it didn't take me very long to read them because I was so excited to do so. Mm -hmm. But as I was reading, I definitely had the thought of every page is bringing me so much joy, but also a little (laughs) sadness because I am one page closer to the end. So I don't have that at all. If I am (laughs) reading a book that I... I'm really enjoying. I read too fast Mm -hmm. and stay up too late. 
I did wonder a little when I was doing our outline whether this does not fall under the umbrella of self-care and more under the umbrella of a guilty pleasure Mm -hmm. because I actually think it's better when I sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Though guilty pleasures can be self-care. There seems to be a lot of overlap in those. They can, but it also made me think that when I'm thinking about my ideal self-care reading experience Mm -hmm. that I need to build in time to sleep in. Agreed. So that if I read so fast and stay up late, that I can still function the next day. That is preferable. And we've touched on this a little bit already, but let's talk about whether the weather or seasonality plays into our self-care reading. This question came at the perfect time because just yesterday I'd been thinking about how overall our summer's been mild, but this week the temperatures with the heat index is above 100, which is pretty unusual. And with the humidity, it's pretty gross. Yep. And it made me think about how cozy and lovely it is going to be to snuggle up under a blanket when it's dark in the evenings, drink my hot chocolate, and read a book. It's not that I don't read other times of the year because I read, I would say, the same amount year round. But in terms of a self-care experience, I imagine that being in the fall or the winter. And if you could just remind me that I was looking forward to that and looking forward to winter (laughs) when it's the end of February and I'm hating it. I'll do what I can. (laughs) How does winter and seasonality come into play for you? I don't think I'm any more likely to read for pleasure at certain times of the year. But I do love when I'm reading a book about a chilly place in the summer. Mm -hmm. I think it makes me much more likely to get into it. For instance, I've tried reading Bear and the Nightingale several times, and this is another reworked fairy tale that is in my wheelhouse, Mm -hmm. but I think I tried it too much during winter because it felt so cold and so dark Mm -hmm. that I really couldn't get into it. So maybe I need to try that one again during the summer. It was a little too on point for the moment you were in. (laughs) Yep. I can see that wanting something different. Right now, I'm actually reading a book called Once Upon a River, which is set in the winter and has that same cozy, creepy, cold feel to it. Uh huh. And it does feel fun to be transported to winter when it is so hot. Right. But I've also loved when my gamache novels have lined up with the season that they're in. Mm. So I think I like both experiences, both when they're the opposite and the same. Maybe I just really like vivid descriptions of weather. (laughs) Yeah, I think I like that too. There is something about that that can make the experience so much more vibrant Mm -hmm. that if the weather is playing a big role or if place is playing a big role or if the food is playing a big role in what you're reading, Mm -hmm. that you can be transported a little bit more maybe. Yes, transported is the exact right word for that experience. How does reading for self-care intersect with parenting for you? We often hear about people talking about, oh, or looking at your phone or scrolling through Instagram and not paying attention to your children. (laughs) I feel like I do that with books, where if I'm in a book that I'm really into, I'm just doing that and then letting my children experience independent play. That's how I would like to frame that. (laughs) I love that. I think it's really helped me establish a rest time, even when now that my kids are older, rest time mostly consists of me just saying, find something to do that doesn't involve me so I can sit here and read for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have to stay in their room or do something quietly, but as long as they're playing together in the back room or doing something, we are all set. I feel great about it, though, because I think it's really good for my kids to see me prioritizing reading for my own pleasure. I do, too. Obviously, I don't read all day to the exclusion of anything else. I'm still meeting my children's needs, but I'm also not ignoring the fact that reading is a big part of my life, and I want my kids to see that. It feels like a win-win. I get to read, 
they get to see me valuing reading. I think that's important for sure. The downside to this is that I do feel annoyed when I inevitably do get interrupted. And so I think that I have an overall better experience when I'm reading after they're in bed or Mm. before they're awake. I've been thinking that it would be great to wake up an hour before they do now that they don't wake up at 5 a.m. And I could (laughs) have my coffee and read my book and feel so rejuvenated and refreshed starting the day. But right now I value sleep more than that. So I've just been sleeping until my kids wake up. (laughs) How do you find that parenting and reading mix for you? Often not well. Hmm. I think it feels easier when both of my children still are relatively high needs to zone out on something like my phone Mm -hmm. because it's that quick fix versus needing more investment kind of thing where I don't always feel like I have the time to invest in getting back into a book before someone is inevitably going to need me. Mm -hmm. I do love it when I am into a book enough that I feel like I can get into it more quickly. And so then I can read while Plum is playing. And sometimes the modeling of me enjoying the book, like you're saying, encourages her to get a stack of books. And then we read side by side on the couch. Yes. And I do wish that that happened more. And probably that's something that I just need to practice doing Mm -hmm. so that she gets into the routine of it as well. And really recording this episode is a good invitation to that for me. A few times over the summer, we tried, uh, this is reading time for everyone now. Let's all find our book and sit down on the couch. And Mm -hmm. I would read my book. HP could read independently. E has a much shorter attention span for it, Mm -hmm. though she does have her CD player now. And you were inspiring me talking about how Plum has been using that to listen to the CDs with the book. Yes. So I think that that would be a really good fit. And even if that only lasts for 10 minutes, I feel like that would be a great family touchstone to have and something that we can all be enjoying, even if it's for a short while. Yeah. I think for both of us, eating is a big part of self-care. Indeed. So tell me about your reading for self-care snacks. It needs to be something delicious, but I want to be able to eat it without looking. Yes. And without making a mess. Agree. Really, I prefer snacking while I'm watching TV because I find snacking while reading to be really distracting and like I can't get that many pages in while I'm focused on the food. (laughs) That's so funny. So what I really prefer is a delicious beverage. Mm. Right now, I am loving iced decaf coffee in my Stanley No Spill mug, Mm -hmm. which makes it a mess-free and satisfying experience. (laughs) How about for you? I agree with you that it is hard to split focus between reading and snacking. Mm -hmm. So I need something that I can shovel in mindlessly. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite is Doritos, but Doritos have another downfall in that they make your hands really messy. Yes, so messy. This actually works really well for the Kindle, but not Mm. as good for paper books. I see. (laughs) I think I'm still in search of the perfect snacking while reading snack. We would love your feedback, listeners. Tell us the best combo of book plus food. Please do. We're going to wrap up our discussion of reading for self-care with the food talk. But listeners, we will put a list of our favorite self-care reads on the website. And we would love to hear from y'all about your favorite self-care reads, as well as anything else that came to mind while you were listening to us talk about this. (laughs) Let's finish by talking about what we've been eating. I'm going to talk about a cake called Chocolate Nemesis. I love it already. (laughs) Tell me more. This is a cake that my dear friend made for us when she came to visit right after Pepper was born. 
She showed it to me. I was like, oh yeah, girl, that looks great. And then she started to make it and realized that it was a little bit more involved. Mm -hmm. Maybe then she thought it was going to be steps wise, but also that it was going to be enormous. (laughs) (laughs) We'll link to the recipe in our show notes, but I will caution you that as listed, this recipe makes two nine inch cake pans full of chocolate nemesis, Okay, which early postpartum, I was very glad to have and ate all of. No problem. (laughs) But it was a lot. And so if you're making this yourself, you might want to cut it in half. So don't do what I did with the chocolate mousse where I doubled it because I didn't think it would be enough. Avoid that in this one. Hardcore (laughs) to not double it unless you want to eat a boatload of chocolate, which maybe you do. It was amazing. This is a flourless chocolate cake, and it ends up being essentially like a slice of chocolate. And then the suggestion, which I really think takes it over the top, is to serve it with creme fraiche, which I had not eaten that much of. Mm. But gosh, I love creme fraiche. And the sort of lightness and sourness of the creme fraiche with the darkness of Mm, the chocolate mm -hmm. is just this really amazing pairing. So if you are a chocolate lover, do yourself a favor, go make this for you after you have the recipe. I'm looking at the recipe right now, and it looks really similar to the Winning Hearts and Minds chocolate cake that I love. Mm. It's very similar with eggs, butter, sugar, chocolate. Mm -hmm. And now I'm excited to try another version of that. I have not made that one that you're talking about, though I know people love it. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're just identical or if this one's a little heavier or what. You make them and then report back, okay? Challenge accepted. Sarah, what have you been eating? I tried making buckwheat pancakes for the first time. Mm. I hear talk of buckwheat pancakes, and I thought, I wonder what that's all about. And then there's a local place that mills flour nearby here, and they make delicious breads that they sell at the farmer's market. And I saw their flowers, saw they had buckwheat, and I thought, people make pancakes with this. I'm going to try some. Can you please tell me what buckwheat is? It is an Asian plant of the dock family that produces starchy seeds. Mm. So I know that it is gluten-free. It's not actually wheat. So if you have gluten-free folks in your life, this could be an option. I ended up making it with half all-purpose flour, half buckwheat. Mm. But the recipe I used said that you can just substitute for all buckwheat. It just has a slightly different texture. Interesting. I really liked these pancakes. I thought it turned out really well. I would probably use less sugar next time. Mm. I think there were three whole tablespoons of sugar, which for a pancake. That's rare for pancakes. Yeah. It's a lot. And then I thought, I wonder if that's to cover up the taste of the buckwheat, the flavor in some way. Mm. Mm. But I thought they were delicious, though they weren't as big of a hit with my kids. Mm. HP said he prefers the other pancakes that we make, but I'm not giving up yet. I feel like I want to try a couple different variations with it to use up the rest of the buckwheat flour we have and just felt like something fun and different to try instead of our standard pancake recipe. Nice. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. If I Google it first. Yes. (laughs) Hold, please. (laughs) This is so annoying. This browser keeps switching to Yahoo, which is such a worse search engine. (laughs) That is worse. I'm like, oh, look, there it is again. Oh, did it again. (laughs) All right.